The Start On Demand. On demand. With protests continuing to rage on in Minneapolis after the death of George Floyd in police custody, we'll ask what's next when we speak to the American Civil Liberties Union of Minnesota. Fentanyl is back in a big way. We'll speak to the Winnipeg Fire Paramedic Service, who had to administer naloxone on average three times a day so far in May. A lot of students are getting ready to go back to school, sort of. And what is going on with the forecast? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Friday. Thank God it's Friday, May 29th edition of the podcast for The Start. No, your ears did not deceive you. Kayla just said lows near zero. I'm looking at the Environment Canada forecast for tonight. Low plus one with the risk of frost. And Greg, didn't we talk to somebody in recent weeks about planting and what was the rule? Maybe you should wait until June? Yes, maybe you should wait until June. And I had been an advocate of that rule. And guess who planted all their flowers this week? (laughs) Did you really? (laughs) Yep. You, uh, you basically laughed in my face when I suggested. Well, I, mean, I was my looking at the face. forecast. Yeah, I, I didn't mean to be hurtful. I uh, I looked at the forecast and I thought, yeah, it looks like we're, we're safe to go. But here we are on the precipice of uh, perhaps a late May frost tonight. I think we got about 17 pots that we planted. Well, we Jackie planted with my mother-in-law. I just, uh, I water them every morning. So uh, yeah, I would hate to lose any of those. That would be, uh, that would be uh, very sad. Lorenda, have you, have you done any planting yet? Yeah, well, I got, I had my flowers out last weekend. We planted some new trees in the backyard, but th- they'll be fine. And then of course, I always do like a herb pot, you know, with basil and oregano and all that kind of stuff. So I'm just now thinking, I'm going to forget to do this, I know. But I need to move them inside or into the garage, I suppose. I never even thought about this for because it's been so beautiful this past week. It never occurred to me it would drop this low. I wish you hadn't spoken those words out loud. <laughs> low plus one. I wanted to be in the dark. With the Stop risk it. of frost. The good news, yeah. I'm looking at the forecast for next week. Uh, Monday. We've got some rain in the forecast uh, for Sunday night and into Monday. Uh, we'll see if that changes. But a high 27 Monday, 28, sunny and 28 on Tuesday, which is great because I'm going golfing that day. Uh, Wednesday, mix of sun and cloud, and 30, and then 29 degrees for Thursday. So things are looking up for next week, but it's going to be cold tonight, which is funny because it was just last week where I was lamenting the fact that I didn't have air conditioning in my apartment, and now I'm going to be lamenting the fact that they have switched to the air conditioning in my apartment and I won't be able to turn on the heat. So, yay. Hey, what's going on with uh, schools, with the kids on uh, Monday? Loren, uh, are your kids going to see a classroom? Well, we've received a letter from the, I don't know, Brad, that's the short answer. We, we received a letter from the Seine River School Division, that that's where we are, um, that, that, that they will be seeing some sort of um, uh, classroom activity in small groups with their teacher uh, at some point. But each division is, is trying to make these plans as best they can. And, and so we've received the notice on how it's going to work and what, what possible dates things might come and go. But I haven't seen anything specific as, you know, show up at school Tuesday 
9 a.m. kind of thing. So I know it's coming. I'm just not so sure exactly how it's going to work. But but like I said, depending on where you live and what school you're going to, you might find yourself in um, different situations. Greg, it sounds like your kids are back to school, sort of. Yeah, they have a rock-solid plan. In fact, they'll be going back uh, one day a week in the afternoon. That day has been settled. So they'll be going from about 12.30 in the afternoon until 3 o'clock. And so all of this, and I say this, and uh, I've been having a battle with one of my boys who thinks this is a complete waste of time. And I've been trying to sell him on the fact that this is not a waste of time. It's a great opportunity to get some time with your teacher and to wrap up the year. But uh, it sounds as though all of this is going to be for about 10 hours in the classroom in the month of June. And I'm, I'm personally not sure that uh, it's all worth it all the extra precautions that are going to be need to, needed to be taken uh, i think it's good for the kids to get some socialization see some of their friends obviously they won't be able to see all of them uh, but it sounds like an awful lot of work for a very little payoff per individual student in my mind you say that one of your boys is uh, is is fighting with you over it how does that go is it like oh come on dad this is a waste of time Oh, he, actually, his his arguments are a lot more intelligent than that. He, he feels as though uh, that he's not going to get anything out of this, that he has uh, put in uh, all the effort that he's needed to all year, and then some in the pandemic. He's done all his homework. Dad, I get the grades. I'm not exactly sure why this is uh, necessarily at this point in time. Why can't they just end it? And we had a pretty serious conversation about it over dinner last night. But, uh, yeah, I had to be on the other side of it and say, look, this will be good for you just to get some time with your teacher and some of your friends. And, and I don't think he was buying what I was selling. So, And by the way, the question of the day. Oh, go ahead, Loren. I was just going to say there's a lot of stress for everybody too with it. Like you might not want to go back as a kid or you might want to go to see your friends, but it won't feel normal. And then the teachers are scrambling to come up with these plans. And my question is, you know, are they still going to have to do all these in-class sessions, but also still provide all the video lessons they've been doing so that school continues for another three weeks? And then some teachers also have kids that they don't have daycare for. So I know I was talking to an EA last night who's scrambling and trying to figure out, does she have to go to work Monday? She doesn't, she's not sure. And then find daycare for her, her, her kids, which she still doesn't have. And, you know, there's all these unanswered questions. So it's a lot, Brett. Question of the day at CJOB.com brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. And the question of the day at CJOB.com, the province may use some in-service days as teaching days and start classes before Labor Day. Do you think this proposal is fair? That's the question that was posed yesterday afternoon on the news with Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham. And so far, 74% say absolutely students need to catch up. 26% say no way teachers need to recover. You can cast your vote at cjob.com and weigh in at 204-780-6868. It's Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Right now we want to talk about team sports with the green light being given for team sports to return in Manitoba. We want to know your funny stories, your weird stories, your dramatic stories from your days of playing in team sports, whether it's from when you were a kid, maybe as an adult, or maybe your kids. You've got a story about your kids. And why don't I kick us off here? And uh, Greg's actually found some handy audio to help set this up. Hey, Ice Cream Man! John, do a speed run! Ice Cream Man! It's a video on YouTube labeled Dickie D... 
<laughs> Dickie D guy coming down the block. And so my story takes us back to when I was, I don't know, 11, 12 years old. And we're playing baseball at Crocus Park in Transcona at, on Redonda. And our right fielder, who I will not identify, <laughs> but uh, we're in the middle of an inning. The Dickie D guy comes rolling down the back lane. So our right fielder runs off to the side to the fence, yells at his mom and dad to get him some ice cream. His parents are yelling at him, get back on the field. What are you doing, you idiot? Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> so that's my story. That will I will never forget that. Just obviously didn't care about the play, just wanted some ice cream. So Kelly Moore is here, Jeff Braun is here as well, and Jeff Forte. And why don't we start with Kelly Moore? Well, uh, I, I didn't really get a chance to play many team sports when I was a kid growing up because we lived in, in areas that just didn't uh, uh, allow us to, to participate in that. But I did do a lot of coaching once our girls uh, got old enough. And I'll never forget some of the early days of coaching softball. And this was, you know, when the girls were six, seven years old in that area there. And getting them to stand in position in the infield or the outfield and not be sitting in the grass picking dandelions. <laughs> you know, I just, I feared that one of them was going to get hit by a ball, but uh, uh, that those are uh, some of my uh, very fond memories. Just so you don't know what you have to stand up, don't put the glove on the other hand, don't watch <laughs> the ball. <laughs> that was like oh, me. Man. That was like me playing soccer as a kid. Like, I was not athletic, so I would just like stand in the field, looking around, looking at the the, the, the sky. <laughs> Got no clue what's going on. That's the type of person I was. Well, you could argue you still have no clue what's going on. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Braun, what about you? When I was in high school, in grade 12, a bunch of us joined the Altona Men's Slow Pitch League, as it was at the time. And we were by far the youngest kids. On, we were just kids on there. It was mostly teams comprised of these, like, big beefy farm boys who just hit home run after home run and in two seasons we won three games and the first season was marked especially we were called the dream team we couldn't come up with a good name so we called ourselves the dream team and after the games all the other teams would go to the bar but we weren't old enough so we had to go get ice cream from the ice cream place so they started calling us the ice cream team (laughs) and that was one of the nicer team nicknames the other teams gave us with the word dream in your team and a bunch of High school guys, you can imagine maybe some of the names they can oh. use. They're very friendly at all. <laughs> That's gold. What about you, Loren McNabb? I don't know why all of our stories seem to be largely baseball related, but I can remember playing on a team um, in Minnedosa when I was younger, and one of the players on our team. Um, it was it was a girls' team, but we had a couple boys playing for uh, with us for some reason. I have no idea why, and. Uh, he the the ball is hit there's a runner on second and the base coach is yelling okay come on come to come to third come to third so he runs to third and then he goes go home go home go home and so the kid runs to his mom <laughs> like everybody's <laughs> like where are you going he runs into the dugout to where past the dugout to his mom and then they were like no to the home plate home plate and he's standing there like looking at us and crazily enough he still got to home plate and we got the run but it was just a funny example of like i don't know what that sport is in the beginning when you're little and the confusion but him running to home and his mom i can still see the look on everyone's faces to this day that is cute what about you greg 
Oh gosh, I don't know which uh, story to pick. I, I love the uh, the coaching days. I can remember coaching the kids soccer. That I think they only played one year when they were re- really little, and they were sort of battling for the ball. And I can remember one of the kids on our team, kind of looking like he really wanted the ball, and then he looked over his shoulder and he stopped and he looked at the kid on the other. Hey, I know you from school. And they stopped and they just had a little <laughs> chit chat because that was the end of that battle. Also thinking about the uh, football game we played over two days back in 1984 was a playoff game we were playing in the rain the sleet the field was just absolutely a mess and of course it was the only time our game had been televised on vpw all season long and uh, the game we had to cut it short because we ran out of daylight in the snow and we had to come back and play it the next day about 10 centimeters had fallen overnight and they marked the lines by sort of just clearing the snow every five yards. We ended up winning the game, uh, but we had played a football game over two days. One of the great memories of uh, sports back when I was a kid. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, thank you so much for joining us this Friday morning on The Start. Protests, fires, violence, looting, all for a third night in the Twin Cities, Greg. Yeah, dozens of fires, including the essential surrender of the 3rd Precinct Police Station in Minneapolis, which has been the epicenter of protests and violent exchanges between those protesting over the death of George Floyd and police while Floyd was uh, being arrested Monday in the neighborhood just south of downtown Minneapolis. The violence spread to St. Paul in the evening and overnight over 170 fires reported in that city. Gunshots, clashes with police, looting on a massive scale. It's all quite unimaginable in what is widely considered one of the most livable cities in the United States. The National Guard and state police have been called in and President Trump weighed in last night, of course, on Twitter. I can't stand back and watch this happen to a great American city, Minneapolis. A total lack of leadership, either the very weak radical left mayor, Jacob Fry get his act together and bring the city under control or i will send in the national guard and get the job right he went on to say these thugs are dishonoring the memory of george floyd and i won't just spoke to the governor tim waltz and told him that the military is with him all the way any difficulty and we will assume control but when the looting starts the shooting starts Thank you. And Twitter, in fact, imposed, uh, they, they basically, they pulled that uh, second post, Loren. Yeah, it was pretty startling to hear that. That seems to be the word I keep using this morning because of what we're seeing still with the pictures, uh, smoke and flames in Minneapolis. A reporter with CNN arrested and released uh, just over a half hour ago. So lots of questions that we're hoping our next guest can help us understand in terms of what's happening in the Twin Cities and right across the United States. John B. Gordon is the executive director of the American Civil Liberties Union of Minnesota and joins us now. Good morning, John. Good morning. Uh, this is a simple question, but I highly doubt it's a simple answer. How did we get here to where we are today, seeing what we're seeing this morning? Well, my initial question will be, how much time have you got? But I'll, <laughs> I'll keep it brief. Uh, uh, what, what, we've, what we've got is a history of uh, uh, police violence, not just in this city, but in other cities across the country. Uh, we've, we've got uh, a whole history of 
Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, uh, Eric Garner in Staten Island, Long Island, and and we've got at least three, four uh, really uh, recent police shootings in the Twin Cities over the last few years, and and people have had enough. Well, that was more succinct uh, than I could have imagined, John. Uh, Arthur Ashe uh, said once upon a time, being a black man in America is like having a second full-time job. Help us understand that statement a little bit. Um, Yeah, you correctly pointed out in the run-up to this that we in in Minnesota pride ourselves on being in a very progressive place, on treating each other very well. Uh, But it's really like we're living in two worlds here. Um, this is one of the this is one of the great places to live in so many ways for white people and for people of color. Um, it, uh, but there are challenges uh, based on long history, long culture. Um, um, uh, oddly enough, um, on June 15, uh, uh, coming up in a week or so, uh, will be the hundredth anniversary of the lynching of four black youths in Duluth, Minnesota, which is our port city up on uh, Lake Superior. Uh, and um, th- that this is coming at that time um, is, is truly striking. Uh, but the racial disparities around here uh, are uh, uh, grotesque. Um, if you're a black person, you are 11 and a half times more likely to get arrested for a marijuana offense than if you are white. If you're a juvenile accused of loitering, you are 16 times more likely to be arrested if you are black and if you are white. we got a lot of work to do around here. A lot of people are going to have a tough time wrapping their heads around the idea that burning and looting businesses which serve these communities is going to do anything but hurt the cause, bury the message, and have a long-term uh, detrimental effect on these neighborhoods. What do you think about that? Now, if we let that happen and if we take our attention off the, uh, the event that set all this in motion, that's exactly what's going to happen. But our part of our work is to stay focused on, uh, uh, I was giving you, I think, a, maybe a long-term view of how did we get here. Uh, but the short-term view, uh, uh, and I hope I did that, uh, but the short-term view of it is we had a, 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 a cop pin a man to the pavement, crushing his face and neck into the pavement over a, a seven- to eight-minute period on a 10-minute video where everybody can see that it was just a murder. He just executed this man in the street in front of the video camera. It's not very surprising that that's a dramatic event that grabs people's attention. What do you say to those out there who might, you know, listen, and they might be law enforcement experts or or others, John, and they and they listen and they say, yes, but you're you're not a police officer. You don't know how hard it is to go in and not know if someone's armed or not know if there might be violence from there, and that it stems from this whole idea that that they're just doing their jobs, and then contradict that with what we saw earlier this week, where that cannot be part of the job to detain someone for that length of time with a knee to the neck. How do you reconcile all those ideas for those within the policing community that say they have to respond? to certain things in certain ways i have great friends who are who are police officers um in, including one close friend and it's uh it is an extremely difficult job it's an extremely dangerous job uh and the scenarios that you uh, were discussing in terms of going into dark buildings not knowing what's going on being startled hearing something where you don't know whether it's a gunshot or not um those are absolutely legitimate scenarios uh, to to analyze, but in a very different way uh, than 
as I say, a 10-minute video in which you can see a, a cop with his knee on this man's neck on the street. And at the beginning of the video, uh, he's, in, he's in rough shape, but he's communicating and he's alive. During the course of this video, you can see him lose consciousness. You can see the life go out of him right on the video in plain daylight in the middle of a city street. John, we've seen uh, protests and uh, demonstrations right across the country now. H- how do we make sure, what, what needs to happen to make sure that this doesn't escalate in every other city? I, I know it's a big question with very little time, but is it all about conversation? What do we do? It, you know, the, the first thing that has to happen is that there needs to be justice in terms of the uh, offense, the specific offense that occurred here, and that is, that the police officer who was on the video, his partner who was on the video, and two other members of that squad who've already been terminated. They were already fired by the police department within 24 hours of the incident. Um, There has to be a very prompt uh, criminal prosecution. uh, What else has to happen is, frankly, long-term. There needs to be very dramatic, very immediate, and, and very effective ways to change the culture and to change the way that cops treat people around here and other places. John B. Gordon is the executive director of the American Civil Liberties Union of Minnesota, joining us live on 680 CJOB. John, thank you so much for the time. Very much appreciated. An honor to be with you. Thank you. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we were sharing with you at 6.15 the staggering rise in fentanyl overdoses in Winnipeg with new numbers showing just how bad the problem has become. The Winnipeg Fire Paramedic Service says this month alone, naloxone, that's what they use to try to save someone from an overdose, well, naloxone has been used 107 times. The data we receive from the WFPS only goes to May 25th, but even with a few days left in this month, it shows that paramedics administered naloxone more times than this month than any other month this year, any month in 2019 or in 2018. And that's all the numbers I have right now, guys. So it's possible this will be a record-setting month. And we can say, in part at least, that it's pandemic-related. Through both April and May, the WFPS has seen a 40% jump in the use of naloxone compared to the same period last year. Corey Guest is the Public Education Coordinator for the WFPS and joins us now. Good morning, Corey. Good morning to you all. Thanks for uh, chatting with me today. Well, thanks for giving us some of your insight and what you're hearing and seeing out there. Are you able to just describe some of the calls that you're getting and and what what you see when you arrive to help? So it's pretty challenging. I mean, it's safe to say that um, the paramedics on the street today um, it's pretty rare that they face an overdose or a poisoning call where there's one drug. Um, poly substance use is becoming a pretty large issue, uh, which ultimately means that uh, we're encountering patients or um, folks that use drugs that are using um, multiple um, different drugs, be it a stimulant or a drug like, uh, 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 pardon me, uh, fentanyl. So it certainly provides a lot of challenges because treating a patient that's using poly substances um, throws a lot of um, different uh, challenges at us, for sure. What are some of those challenges, Corey? Uh, obviously, we've been talking about naloxone and uh, what it can do if you've overdosed on fentanyl and uh, how that helps. And obviously, that's not a cure. But uh, using more than one drug at once, uh, maybe expand on the challenge that poses for your members. 
Yeah, so it is difficult. Like you said, um, the drug um, Narcan uh, is used for a, an overdose or poisoning like fentanyl. Um, folks have to remember that when we deal with a drug like uh, methamphetamine, um, there's no antidote and there's no instant treatment for that. Um, what's being reported, and it's very interesting, is that some methamphetamine users are presenting to the paramedics like, they're, like they've overdosed on a drug like uh, uh, fentanyl. And that's a challenge because if you're trying to approach a patient that is adamant that they're using a stimulant like methamphetamine, but they're presenting like they've used a drug like fentanyl, um, it seems that naloxone is working for um, methamphetamine patients now, which is something um, very, very new to us. So I can't comment on if there's other substances being added to um, drugs like methamphetamine, um, but that's certainly the... um, you know, worry that we have. Um, at times, methamphetamine patients can become violent. It doesn't happen to everybody, um, but that's always in the back of our minds for sure. Headline at globalnews.ca says more Canadians are dying of drug overdoses and coronavirus is to blame. Are we seeing deaths here as well? I, I, we safe to say we are seeing deaths um, from uh, polysubstance use. We don't track the deaths um, as a city service, but it would be safe to say that we've seen a marked increase of um, substance use calls really going back, I would say, even as far as uh, 2015. And that's troubling because year after year, we're seeing all of our numbers rise. Um, Alcohol is still the number one substance that we see, um, but it's certainly uh, troubling again when we're seeing those numbers uh, climb. Walk us through, if you can, Corey, describe what happens when you show up to some of these homes or apartments? Because I think there's a perception out there too that, oh, that wouldn't be me. I wouldn't, I wouldn't get caught up in the in drugs, or my kid wouldn't do that. I mean, is it touching all walks of life? Where are you seeing this happening, and and what age of people? It's a very good question. So they've shown that the vast majority of substance users um, generally are the age of about 25 to 45. Um, but we've, you know, we'll engage people as young as 12, 12 years old um, and, you know, as, as elderly as, you know, 70s or 80s. Um, folks have to remember that substance use and people that are struggling with substance use, they do not have boundaries or uh, barriers. It doesn't, it, it, drugs don't care what you look like. Um, they don't care where you're from. This is affecting everybody in our city. Um, I don't think we can deny that there's a concentration in maybe our downtown core Um, But we're seeing the same types of calls all over the city, Winnipeg. Corey, I I know how frustrated police officers can get, how frustrated we all get when we see the same names over and over uh, arrested for uh, similar crimes or maybe escalating crimes and that revolving door of justice that we often get frustrated with. How frustrating is it for you when you're out on the streets and you're seeing the same people over and over again uh, battling uh, their addictions? I think, um, I'm not sure I would use the word frustrating for us. I think it's um, um, heartbreaking. And what I mean by that is when we see sometimes uh, the same folks over and over again, um, our, our heart breaks for them. We know what they need is long-term um, sustainable care. Um, and that's what we, we really want to see these folks get. We're happy to, to, to treat these people over and over again. But at the end of the day, what we want to see is long-term sustainable um, care for these folks. Corey, what happens to someone experiencing an overdose? Well, and of course, that will depend on what uh, drug that they've used. If we're talking about a drug uh, like fentanyl, 
um, that is a um, depressant drug. So it is a respiratory um, compromising drug. Um, folks will stop breathing relatively quickly. And it's, it's scary because what, what we saw maybe three, four, five years ago, um, the amount of antidote that we have to provide to these patients has, has just been climbing. So what we maybe had to dose, um, a fentanyl overdose, two or three years ago, sometimes we're having to 10 times that uh, today. And that speaks to the strength of the drugs um, that we're seeing today. Boy, Corey, I remember talking to you three or four years ago about the problem of fentanyl in our city and the idea of back then you were having to up your Narcan dose, your naloxone dose compared to what you were doing, say, in 2011. So now to hear you say that today's dose compared to even a few years ago is 10 times is shocking. And then to throw in the idea that you're mentioning that this this poly use, that there might be a number of drugs mixed together is even potentially more frightening. Are we talking about an uh, an increasing worsening situation? I mean, is this... I don't want to sound dramatic, but is this the worst you've seen it in your career? How would you compare it? I think it would be safe to say that if you spoke to any paramedic um, within the city of Winnipeg, substance use has never been um, like it is today. And again, we can go back and we can look at the numbers. They have just been steadily climbing. Um, It's challenging because when we're faced with a substance on the street, it's very difficult to tell what that substance is. For the most part, that drug has to be sent and, and be tested. Um, and that's what, you know, we're encountering is that, um, you know, polysubstance use. It's difficult for us to look at a substance and know for sure that's what that drug is. And that provides um, challenges to us as well. Um, Corey, are you aware of the reasons? Did we lose Corey? Corey, are you still there? Nope, still here. Oh, good. Hey, um, just wondering, you know, you're on the front lines of this. What are you hearing as the reasons? We heard earlier this week that uh, the price of meth has gone up. And so uh, now maybe people are turning uh, to something uh, a little bit cheaper. Is, is there anything to that? What, what do you think is uh, may, maybe driving this? I, I, I mean, it would be tough for us right now to correlate our increased numbers of substance use calls to the new COVID world that we're living in. I think we would be naive to think that there's not a connection there somewhere, but our data is just too new right now. I mean, people are, are trying to escape. I think there's folks that are trying to cope. We have people that are more shut in than ever. And if you're susceptible to substance use or you've dealt with substance use in your past, I think it would be a pretty straightforward answer to say that the new COVID world that we're living in is a big challenge. So I think we'll likely um, see some uh, data that can correlate that uh, down the road. We're just not there right now. Corey Guest is a public education coordinator for the Winnipeg Fire Paramedic Service, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Corey, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. Thank you. You all have a great day. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we have just updated, hot off the press, just updated the question of the day at cjob.com, brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. As students get ready for a return to school, how often would you like them to go for it to be worthwhile? Daily? Every other day? Once a week? And I added one more answer, Greg, as we were having a little uh, chat about this off air. Uh, They shouldn't go back. 
So you can cast your vote at cjob.com. We'll throw that up on Twitter as well, at 680CJOB. Coming up at 837, 845, pardon me, we have a food fair $50 gift card to give away, so stand by for your cue to call for that. Maybe you win the gift card, and then you can load up on some supplies for camping, because camping has been on in a big way in Manitoba, with provincial parks opening several weeks ago. But national parks remain closed at least for one more weekend. Riding Mountain National Park, about three hours northwest of Winnipeg, is getting ready to reopen on Monday. Richard Dupuy is the Visitor Experience Manager for Riding Mountain and joins us now. Good morning, Richard. Good morning. Now, I can't imagine why nobody's, you know, not ever been to Clear Lake or being to Riding Mountain National Park, but it is a, a hike from Winnipeg, so not everyone's been there. For those that haven't been there, the main attraction is Clear Lake and the incredible town site at Wasagaming. Has it been closed this entire time, like, or some parts of it been open? So our visitor services have been suspended, so that means, like, our trails, um, and uh, various things around uh, the park. But uh, what has remained open and, and accessible is uh, the town site. Uh, some of the businesses have been open, but it's uh, been a difficult time that we've been go- all going through. So, But uh, some of the other services that we have, I guess we kept our critical services, such as highway operations, visitor safety and rescue, um, water t- uh, treatment plants have been on. Um, people can still access their cabins and cottages in the park as well, too. But uh, in terms of visitor services, those have been closed. So our, even all bathrooms, uh, everything, we're trying to do our part in, uh, in flattening the curve. Well, I can imagine it's challenging and, and, and hard to not see people up there at this time of year because uh, May Long, for example, the May Long weekend is one of those big weekends that clearly Clear Lake sees an influx of people. And so uh, it must be a little bit weird to be moving through the community uh, right now and having very few people there, unlike normal. It is a bit quiet, but uh, June 1st next week, we have uh, services that are coming back online. And uh, so our entry gates are actually going to be open uh, seven days a week uh, with information only. Um, we will not be charging at the at the gate as we're just kind of slowly, uh, incrementally opening up some of our visitor services. Uh, all trails will be open, so some of them are uh, closed just due to, we have a highway 19 is closed just due to seasonal. It's a little soft right now and we've closed that one, but yeah, I would just check our, our trail report and we'll have uh, trails open next week. The bison enclosure shore fishing will be permitted next week as well too. And, uh, of course the, the town site of Sagaming, everything will be open in here in terms of the green spaces, the main beach, parking lots, washrooms, trails, kitchen shelters, playground, and uh, the shower building in the, in the, in the uh, cabin area as well, uh, and in the kitchen shelters up there as well. We know demand for access to our national parks is always high. Is there any concern that too many people will flock to the park? Um, at, at the moment, I know our main concern uh, when people come here is to social or to physically distance and. Um, also, uh, kind of what we're going to be doing is just to put in place measures to help Canadians follow advice of public health experts and to remind them when they come down here. 
um, to limit the public gatherings. So some of the things that we still have closed uh, are because of that, and also to respect the travel restrictions and closures because those can be confusing uh, with the different parts. We have Saskatchewan that's very close, so we get lots of questions about that. Can I come? Can I not? And uh, a lot of that is just, uh, you know, um, reading the, the provincial guidelines and seeing how that applies. And, uh, and those are constantly changing, so you also have to keep up and make sure that uh, we are informed and then trying to help our, their visitors make the best decisions possible. A lot of balls to Richard. follow in, in terms yeah, of uh, no where kidding. to go with things. Um, sorry, Greg, I just stepped on you and I want to apologize for that. I just wanted to ask if you're responsible for, for making sure people keep that distance. Is it up to conservation officers or, or who will be there for enforcement and will there be extra enforcement? In terms of, of kind of the the physical distancing, you know, our main concern at Parks Canada is, you know, the, the safety of everyone, Canadians, visitors, uh, Parks Canada team members that are here. So that's very important. So we'll make, put in place measures that will remind uh, Canadians or visitors here that uh, physical distancing, whether it's at bathrooms or points where people kind of gather at beaches, at playgrounds, and I think for that, we are, we're asking people to uh, do their part and to physically distance as well. So I think um, we will be around, but I think it's just we ask people to self-monitor. Well, it's one of the most beautiful places anywhere. It's, it's so magical when you cross into the park and you feel like you're somewhere else. It, it really is a tribute to the national park system. You see it so often when you go into Banff or Jasper, you know you're in a national park. Richard, thanks for this. Thanks for what you're doing and uh, thanks for uh, helping keep us well and safe. Thank you. And yeah, keep safe as well. And uh, yeah, we're looking forward to welcoming uh, uh, visitors next week. And uh, we're, we've gotten most, almost everything ready so uh, that we can and getting our staff and all the proper protocols in place. And we're kind of, we're very happy to, to kind of to open up some of those visitors and to have people get outside uh, for their mental health and, and support that. Because I think that's, that's the, the most important part is that we want to support people's physical and mental health and benefits by being outside. Richard Dupuis, Visitor Experience Manager for Riding Mountain, joining us live on 680 CJOB. And Loren, of course, whenever I hear the words Clear Lake, the first thing I think of is Clear Lake Golf Course. Is that in the park? Yes, that's in the park. And so that will be back on uh, the agenda because I I think technically with the park closed, that was a good question. We should have asked him. I'll well, double hang check. on a second. Hang on. Is he still there? Richard, are you still there? Yes, I'm still here. <laughs> Is the clear, Was Clear Lake Golf Course able to open? Yes, no, they opened on the, I think it was May Long weekend. So they've put uh, social, uh, physical distancing measures in place and have been open. So, And a lot of the places, I think, check with all the businesses. Um, we have the Clear Lake Country kind of website has kind of some of the business, has the information on which businesses are open. And I think in the next week or two, most businesses will be all full up and, and running. All right. Thanks, Richard, for the last second addition <laughs> well, to that interview. I just wanted to, I should have just added, that was entirely self-serving because I'm hoping to get up there this weekend. And so I just wanted to outline the rules for me about where I can go, Richard, and what I can do. And maybe I'll see you at the Third Street Dock, okay? I want to cover a couple of bases here. We want to revisit the 
situation in Minneapolis, the riots that are happening there over the death of George Floyd. But first, we want to give you the question of the day at cjob.com. It's brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. The question is, as students get ready for a return to school, how often would you like them to go for it to be worthwhile? And 38% say every other day. 33% say they shouldn't go back. 29% say daily. So far, no votes for once a week. We've also thrown that poll up on Twitter, and we've got a different poll up on Facebook. It's it's like a poll pari of uh, polls this morning uh, because Facebook only lets you have two options. Nice, so, that was the best. <laughs> oh my gosh! I, I was you hoping to just get just champed the champ with your pun. Oh, poll pari. Is... God, where's oh that been gosh. for the last two years? You completely oh derailed my... me. You, you, I feel so I feel so vindicated and validated that Loren <laughs> approves of my pun. So I'm going into the weekend in style. But the question on Facebook, because they only offer two options for polls on Facebook. So the question there, with students getting ready to return to school for what will amount to just a few hours over the course of a month, is it worth the hassle? And the options are yes, it will be valuable, no waste of resources, and so far it's about two to one, no waste of resources. So cast your vote oh, on... Facebook and on Twitter and of course cjob.com because Greg your your boys are going back uh, for it's once a, once a week right once a week for half a day so uh, I'm I'm guessing that there's going to be two grades at a time because their school only has one class per grade so and uh, they're talking about using separate entrances so yeah that's what it works out to part of the class. Uh, in the morning, part of their class in the afternoon, then I suspect they'll be spread out over several classrooms. I'm going to guess maybe six in a classroom maximum at a time. So they might need a couple classrooms to uh, split things up uh, morning and afternoon. So, and I also know that there are some parents that have said, nope, not sending my kids at all. So, uh, but I am surprised to see that bearing out on the Facebook poll and on the Twitter poll right now, 51%. Uh, we've already got close to a hundred votes on that. 51% people uh, saying, no, it's not worth going back at all. I, I'm very surprised to hear people say that. Well, I think part of the questions and the concerns, like there might be a safety concern. There's also a, a child care issue for many parents right now. Like you're, you're already at home and you can send your kid to school for a bit or you're working and you're trying to figure out how to get them to school. And so you're the, the, the juggling of balls, it's all in the air right now, depending on where you're at with your work, your income, who's at home, who isn't at home. So there's that part of the equation. And then there's the safety question that people might have about, you know, do I really need to be sending them in there just now when we're, when we're just slowly ramping things back up? And then on the other hand, you know, one of the questions I have is that there's still a whole month of school left to go. And while I appreciate the last week or so, you know, often slows down in a school year with just reassessments, they might be just doing um, field trips and those kinds of things. It's still a month of school. And so how will it work if teachers are back at school and they are required to bring kids in and work with them every single day? Are they also required to still be putting things online and giving us our assignments and correcting our assignments? And is that doubling the workload? And so do it's like, is it like robbing Peter to pay Paul? Like, am I getting one over the other and which one might be better right now if we only have these three and a half so weeks to go, Brett? 
All right, so you can cast your vote at CJOB.com, on Twitter at 680CJOB, and on Facebook as well. And, of course, make sure you follow us on Instagram. We would love for you to follow us there. And now we want to switch gears to Minneapolis and the riots that have been happening over the last couple of days after the death of George Floyd in police custody after an officer handcuffed him and put his knee on the man's neck as he said, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, and eventually he died. And, Loren, uh, this is triggering all kinds of different questions from our listeners on all of the stuff that's happening as a result of that situation. Yeah, you know, there's some people who are going to be asking out there, you know, what what does this accomplish? Like, what message are we sending if we're burning down buildings and homes and pizza joints and all the rest when we're seeing this kind of protest and riots in response to a truly awful death of Floyd George? What are we What are we saying? You know, violence to replace more violence. And, and I think there's a lot of people who are struggling to figure out what, what are the, what's the end game of these protests. And then on the other side of the equation, though, I, I can't stop thinking about how I have no idea what it's like to be a person of color in North America. And I don't know what it's like to walk down the street and be profiled or walk into a store and have someone follow me because they're making an assumption based on the color of my skin of what I may or may not do. And so I think, I think it's really hard to, be mad at what's happening with these riots if you haven't walked in those shoes, Greg. And th- this is where I'm at this morning is that I'd love to hear from listeners. Tell us your stories of what you've experienced, what it's like to, to, to be profiled, to, to be had assumptions made about you strictly based on your race. And I think that's where the conversation is going in America and, and maybe even Canada today because um, we hear with my white privilege, I don't have a hot clue the pain that some people have suffered. I spent a lot of time in the United States traveling and on business, uh, and I, I love going to America. I love going to America's big cities and uh, sports in particular. Uh, I've got two quick stories that highlight uh, my experience with this. Uh, I've got more than that, but two that I'll share. Uh, one uh, involves a, a broken down semi uh, tractor uh, just outside of Louisville, Kentucky, and I was driving my car uh, towards Louisville. And uh, saw this gentleman broken down on the side of the road and being a, you know, naive Manitoban, I thought, geez, I should stop and help this guy out. So I did just that. And in uh, three days on the road, he was the first person that actually knew where Manitoba was. So I offered him a ride. We were getting along nicely. He was a large black man. Uh, John was his name, but we, we got along uh, quite uh, famously right off the bat. And uh, we had some good chuckles on our way into Louisville. And you cross the uh, Ohio River from Indiana into Louisville. And I said, John, where do you need to go? And he looked at me and said in his deep, booming voice, Greg, where I need to go and where you and I can be seen together are two different things. And so I had to drop him off downtown at a payphone so he could phone his wife so she could come and pick him up. And I would have been more than happy to drive him home, but that just in his mind and based on what I know since then, this was in 1988, um, I know that that he was uh, bang on in his assessment. And then fast forward almost, uh, well, it's almost exactly 10 years in 1998, and I was in Chicago for a baseball game, and a gentleman that I'd met here was a White Sox season ticket holder. He was taking a, a company uh, trip up to uh, northern Manitoba for some fly and fishing and and I met him uh, while I was working at Earl's, told him about my trip in September coming up. And he said, 
when you get to town, here's my card. You give me a call. So I phoned him and he gifted me four tickets right behind home plate at uh, the White Sox Stadium. I don't even remember what they called it then. And a parking pass, uh, 12 rows behind home plate, if I remember correctly. And my buddy John and I, uh, there were only two of us, but we had four tickets. And we gifted our two extra tickets to uh, Panhandler uh, and uh, hoped that he could sell those to, uh, you know, supplement his income a little bit. So we went into the stadium and sat. We met four very nice people, two sisters and they were married, one to a fireman and white, one to a firefighter. Gentlemen, black gentlemen sat down next to my buddy John, and my buddy John uh, was talking to him, and I was talking to the people behind us, and we got to know them quite well. And about halfway through the game, one of the gentlemen tapped me on the shoulder. He was the police officer, and he said to me, John really shouldn't be talking to that guy. And to that point, we'd uh, bought one another beers, we'd shared popcorn, and you realized really quickly how different things were in America. We, in fact, ended up spending time with them after the game. And like I said, they were four of the nicest people you ever want to meet. But their opinions, uh, based on the job that they did, one a police officer, one a firefighter, um, had them, they, they, they were, they were racist towards black people. And, uh, that was based on their experience. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, we have a $50 gift card for food fair up for grabs at 204-780-6868. The lines are jammed. So here we go. Here's today's question. 24% of adults admit they cannot do this, which is something that every third grader learns. What is it? Again, 24% of adults admit they can't do this, something every third grader learns. What is it? Marie, do you know what it is? <laughs> uh, I'm going to guess and say play a flute. <laughs> play <laughs> a recorder. Oh, the recorder. Uh, no, yeah. that's not the answer, but that's a great guess. Okay, thanks. Okay, I liked playing the recorder. I think we did Stairway to Heaven. Greg, did you do Stairway to, Stairway to Heaven on a recorder? No. No? No. Wish would have gone to your school. <laughs> Susan, do you know the answer? Would it be reading? Reading? Yes. No. Also a great guess, though. Julian, hello there. Let's go with uh, simple mathematics. Not simple mathematics, but that's All a great right. guess. Julian, good character in Trailer Park Boys. Monique? Uh, is it tie your shoelaces? No, not tie your shoelaces. I remember, Loren, uh, the first time I finally figured out how to do that, I was so proud of myself. It's exciting. We have um, one of our sons is left-handed, and you won't believe it, how hard it is to teach somebody of the opposite hand something like tying your shoes. I finally had to pull out a YouTube video because he kept trying to follow my instructions a couple of years ago. And then just kept getting it wrong. And so finally I was like, watch TV to learn this. This is not a parenting trick I can pass along. He needs to go to the leftorium and see Ned Flanders. <laughs> Bev, do you know the answer? Can't read? No, not reading. But good guess, Bev. Thanks for playing. Jim, do you know what the answer is? No, I guess not. 24% of adults admit they can't do this, which is something that every third grader learns. What is it? Gary, do you know what the, the answer is? Oh, gee, I was going to say um, long division. 
Long division, no. It doesn't have anything to do with math, so I'll say that. Rita, do you know what it is? I was going to say multiplication, but it has nothing to do with math. No, I'm sorry. Um, but uh, I, it's funny how, it's funny, Greg, the things that we learned when we were in elementary school and then forget. Like, I, there are certain things that I learned in grade five, I'm sure, that I couldn't do now as far as math goes without a calculator. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. I'm learning that every day. It's like, oh, I know how to do this, but uh, can't can't do it right now. <laughs> Carol, do you know what it is? How to write so you can read it? No, uh, not write. It, so it has nothing to do with math, and it has nothing to do with writing or reading. How's that? There's another hint. Dave. How about spelling? No, not okay. spelling. But hey, great guess. Spelling is hard. Brady, do you know what it is? I'm going to say ride a bike. No, not ride a bike. Uh, another hint I can say perhaps is look to the stars. Burton, do you know the answer? Well, since you said that, it kind of threw me off. I was going to say white glue and uh, popsicle sticks. Oh, <laughs> wow. That just brought a flood of memories back of my fingers getting yeah. stuck to the glue. You, you and remember the... trying to build, like, oh. I think they, they try to show us how to build a birdhouse or something? Or Okay. Yeah. No, I that, thought that might be it. No, great guess, though, Burton. I love that. I made my mom some awful uh, things out of popsicle sticks where she had to say, yeah, this is great. Well, good job. Shirley, do you know what it is? Would it be Name the Planet? Shirley, can you say that again, please? Would it be Name the Planet? You, Shirley, just won yourself a $50 gift card for Food Fair. The answer is indeed name all of the planets in our solar system. Congratulations, Shirley. Thank you very much. Can you name them all? Um... Am I, I will give. Yeah, I, <laughs> am I putting you on the spot? <laughs> I can't. Don't worry about it, Shirley. <laughs> I won't tell you what I do for a profession either. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Shirley, I'm going to put you on hold. Stand by. Uh, <laughs> that is great. Yeah, name all the planets in our solar system. 24% of adults admit they can't do it, even though every third grader learns this. So, congratulations, Shirley. Thanks for everybody for playing along. And don't forget, Hal Anderson has a large two topping pizza from Santa Lucia up for grabs between one and four. That's going to be my dinner tonight. I can't wait for some pizza. It's been like three weeks since I've had pizza. My God, I'm going through withdrawal. Hey, thanks for listening to the Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global. And on Instagram, at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.